said I'm ready to go I'm never gonna give up, give up Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah Yeah, this is my run Let's get my action, I'm ready to go now you gon' face You're it, don't you wait it for I said show from WNHHLP night to 103.5 FM We're broadcasting live from downtown New Haven We're streaming live on TuneIn Radio and NewHavenIndependent.org We're also streaming live on Facebook Live Just go to Facebook.com slash NewHavenIndependent Or go to your Facebook page and look us up Good morning, this is Earl Bloodworth And I am filling in for Tom Ficklin I want to thanks to Tom Ficklin for providing a opportunity and platform to discuss some of the issues that we're dealing with in the world of reentry. I'm going to have a guest on shortly, uh, but I wanted to talk about an article, a paper that was written by uh, Tony McCright Jr., uh, who's part of the Justice Reform Fellow Institute for Youth Education and Families, as well as the National League of Cities. And Mr. McCrite writes about the challenge and promise of reentry in municipalities. City efforts to support effective return from jails and prisons, the process known as reentry, exists in a complex landscape shaped by direct service and coordination based on a landscape analysis. National League of Cities offers several recommendations about next steps and new directions that cities can take to leverage additional partners, resources, and achieve greater impact. Understanding the reentry landscape is the first step in developing effective programming and ultimately eliminating the over-reliance of the criminal justice system. Definition of returning citizen, the term returning citizen, replaces the stigmatized terms ex-con, ex-felon, etc and refers to an individual who is returning home after being in prison or jail. The challenge and promise of reentry, almost 600,000 people return home from state and federal prisons yearly. That's 10,000 residents returning to municipalities weekly. Nine million cycle through local jails, most or less than a month. In the face of these numbers, many jurisdictions across the country lack the capacity or services to ensure that returning citizens are positioned to make a successful transition back to their communities. These shortcomings are exacerbated when a jurisdiction bears more of the brunt than the neighbors, or excuse me, than their neighbors. For example, 50% of all people released from Illinois state prisons return to Chicago. Over two thirds of people released from incarceration are arrested within three years and almost half are reincarcerated. By contrast, viewed through a local level public safety lens, strong reentry programs lead to reduced crime, reduced victimization, reduced strain on municipal budgets and stronger communities and families. In order to support returning citizens in their reintegration, cities, county, states, and the federal government have developed policy and devoted resources to address complex reentry issues. Cities often using state and federal grants have sought to build coordinating direct service capacity. However, reentry programs fall into a policy gap with no clear designated level or responsible government agency. This leads to service fragmentation and lack of resources, likely contributing to the high rate of recidivism, which in turn drains local taxpayer dollars and further destabilizes communities. Briefly, the landscape scan, findings and recommendations for the field. The NLC YEF Institute undertook a nationwide scan of the city reentry landscape over, six, over a six month period in 2021. The principal methods consisted of internet research supplemented with virtual interviews and emails. Understanding the reentry landscape is the first step in developing effective programming, ultimately eliminating the over-reliance on the criminal justice system. Key findings of the scan regarding scale, scope, and emphasis of city efforts include included identification of over 30 reentry offices or programs playing a variety of roles across the four categories that are listed below. In these categories, city approaches or discuss city approaches to reentry. The landscape scan found that city approaches to supporting reentry fall into four categories. Direct, the city reentry office manages all services 
provided to the client. Indirect, the city provides referrals, directing clients to services that are provided by private and nonprofit organizations. Combination of direct and indirect, city offices provide some services in-house and refers clients to others. Hub, the city acts as an umbrella coordinating city agencies and communicating community organizations. Here, the goal is to combine resources and increase efficiency by having all city, private, and nonprofits work together. So that is a little bit on the state of reentry as it um, involves cities and municipalities working in the reentry field. Today, I have today uh, Christine McFarlane, who we're going to talk a little bit about some of the programming um, and partnerships that she has and works to develop in the city of Bridgeport um, as it relates to working with individuals that have been formerly incarcerated or impacted by the justice system. Christine, how are you doing today? Good morning, Earl. I am doing well. I'm happy that it's Friday. You and I both. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, tell me um, what's going on. Like some of the programming that's done in uh, the Bridgeport community that you're working. I know you work with the Mayor's Initiative for Reentry Affairs with the Bridgeport's Family First, but you also do some other programming and are building that up with other partnerships. So I'm looking forward to hearing something about that. Yes. So um, one of the one of the roles that I have here in um, the city of Bridgeport is working with career resources and at career resource at career resources. Career resources have um, a lot of different um, programs that has been catering to the reentry population. Um, our, our biggest clientele is with the halfway houses, and that include three male houses and one female house, which is the Lucy Bainey house. Um, at that, um, those programs are directly um, referred to certain programs like Strive that helps with um, work and support services, which um, is a two-week program where they go to that program and they learn um, pre-work um, skills, work skills. Um, any sort of training that we believe that they may be able to get that'll be um, beneficial to finding a job in the community with um, a background. We have been successful in placing those individuals in in work um, with work, even with the mayor's office. Mayor's office has offered opportunity to our individuals. We have one lady from Lucy Bainey who she has um, she started to work in sanitation. Through the, through the Mayor's Initiative program. And again, we have a lot of our guys that do have the opportunity to actually work for the city of Bridgeport, even though they have um, felony backgrounds. Um, another program that we have there is with our Youth Strive, where we actually have collaborated with the Youth Strive program through our Juvenile Probation Program. And that is where we make referrals to um, the Youth Strive Program, where we give them work skills and we give them opportunity to actually um, get a job at a young age so that we could try to prevent them from going into adult probation or into adult prisons um, by offering them opportunities to earn money um, through work. So so with, yeah. that, with that group, what, what is the age group um, for that youth programming? So with that youth program, we have been able to get them to start at 17 and a half. Mm -hmm. um, and that's giving them soft work skills at 17 and a half, like a pre like a pre admission. And then when they turn 18, that's when we go with the they go with the full program at 18, 18, 18 through 21, where they where they get those those skills where they can learn how to actually work in places like McDonald's and those places that's minimum wage jobs. But at least it gives them the opportunity to work. Um, and, and rather than, you know, committing crime in the community by, you know, stealing cars and shoplifting and all of those things that we have our juvenile probation um, kids, you know, charges. Those are the charges that we get in these days. No, no, I think that's great. And I know um, one of the things that came out of uh, the pandemic was a, a, a big kind of red flag that a lot of our youth didn't necessarily have an understanding of how to operate and working a nine to five or those soft job skills that are needed. And especially with our youth in the urban community, um, giving them this path. How long, how long is the, the program? Is it what, four weeks, eight weeks? It is a eight week program for the youth. 
And um, and again, the eight week eight week program. The reason why they made it eight weeks is because, like I said, we could actually take a child that's seventeen and a half years old, and um, and and up until they turn eighteen years old, we'll still transition them up into that stage, which is why we made it a longer, why they made it a longer program versus the original Strive program for adults. That's only two. That's only two weeks. Okay. And so along with these programmers, you're you're also doing work in programming. Um, you mentioned the Lucy Bainey House, which is one of the only that I'm aware of um, women uh, post-incarceration housing that allows for family uh, or, or a woman and a, a child, I believe from ages zero to five for housing. They have room for that. Um, so you work in that setting as well as the other halfway houses in, in the city of Bridgeport? Yes. And in that role, I am the family reunification therapist. Um, and I am the person that when a mom or a dad comes home after a long stretch of being away from a child, I help with the reunification process where, um, you know, where I go, I do like a community visit with mom, get mom. Um, and before the visit actually happens, I have conversation with mom and sessions with dad and mom and try to figure out how we could um, reconnect with the child in a healthy and safe way. A lot of the time, um, the individuals misunderstand the word reunification and they believe that, I mean, I'm finally connecting you with your child after so long. You haven't been on the phone with the child or Zoom or all of those ways that parents have been in contact with their, with their children. Um, the reunification um, definition for us is that we are making sure that the reconnection is a safe reconnection that they could actually um, be transparent with each other upon um, connecting again, um, physically connecting again. And I've had a lot of success stories so far in the way that we've done it. We've taken the kids to the jump, um, to the jump park where mom has the um, chance to actually interact with her child and play in healthy play situations. Um, we've taken them to the park. We've taken them to the zoo. We've done things that that helps mom and the child or dad and the child actually have full on interactive um, um, connection with each other. And to me, and to me, that has been a successful way of reunifying the families with their um, children after being away for a long time. Okay, so so you were given the definition of unification. That doesn't mean that mom and dad are moved back in. It's going to be a full family unit. That just means that one of the parents, whoever might have been incarcerated, is coming back and you're kind of doing a warm transition for that parent back into the community and back into the lives of the uh, family that was in the community while that person was incarcerated. Yes, so absolutely. Bridging that gap, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's called like bridging the gap. Like they may have you know, conversation over the phone and then, you know, um, you know, 20 minutes on the phone and then the phone cuts off and then, you know, right mid conversation and all of those ways that kind of impacted the, the actual reunification process for the individuals throughout the time incarcerated. So we find that when we bring those people back together, now we bring the families back together, mom and a child, and we do it in a way that they could actually um, interact with each other in a normal way. We've realized, we've noticed that the reunification process is successful that way. Okay, and so this, so you're you're really trying to to show the importance of having both parents in the child's life. Um, to <laughs> to both of the parents, whether they're going to be together or not, and is that does that include? parenting lessons, co-parenting lessons, or how, how are you guys dealing with issues when uh, DCF is involved? Um, so that has been a huge challenge when DCF is involved because we do have to actually comb through the logistics of whether or not the reunification process is a healthy one um, when we connect mom and dad because sometimes there are protective orders um, DCF issues and concerns. So one of the things that I, I do is I make sure that I bring everyone to the table and I try to figure out how could we um, find a way to reconnect mom or reconnect the family um, and making sure that we're not breaking any laws at the same time. And we're kind of like connecting as a unity, as a unit, so we can make sure that everything transitions um, in a way that can 
be effective for the long term. Effective and healthy for the whole entire family. Yes. Okay. That's that sounds like amazing work. Um, some of you, do you have some partners that you're working with um, as well in, in this endeavor? Yes. So we have um, Community Life Solutions, who at that time offers um, individual um, counseling to the children, mentoring services to the children, educational and academic and social emotional learning supports to the children. Um, working with the families, if the families have anything that we think um, that may do well as far as wrapping around services for the entire family, because we need the entire family to be on board and and and, and unified in this process of um, accepting an individual back into the family after being away for so long, we then reach out to our community partners. We have families that benefited from connecting with Project Longevity. We have families that benefited from um, connecting with um, other organizations for substance abuse, or if they need a driver's license, or if they need any um, um, soft work skills um, certificates. We've done everything that we can for the entire family to make sure that the entire family is supportive to one another in the process of um, of of welcoming the family member back into the into the home and to reduce recidivism, right? So before the um, the parent comes back into the home or the family member comes back into the home, we we have the um, the welcome center that we will hope that that person visits so that they could um, receive services through the welcome center that could help them reintegrate back into the community. Um, <clears throat> we have again, we have the Strive program that we send. We have. Um, um, Marcus Cherry. If you send, if you, if the person doesn't, you know, hasn't been away too long and has like an extensive work um, background, we can send them to Marcus Cherry, and Marcus could always give them actual um, employment that's gainful employment. So we've done everything that we can for the family. Yeah, we've done everything that we can for the entire family to hope in hopes that we could keep the family together and unified and reduce recidivism. No, that's great work. I've worked with Marcus, um, and I am working with Marcus actually um, as their a staffing agency under the umbrella of Career Resources. We've uh, worked with getting individuals pipelined into the city, into our public facilities uh, department, um, doing various different things, and hopefully branching out in other departments soon uh, for individuals who have uh, backgrounds to get gainful employment, like you said. So. So, so you named a couple of your partners. I know in working with you myself as a partner through the city, you um, you have partners um, like Fathers in Education. You have there's a mentoring program run by Kenny Jackson. Um, partner other partners in in the city like Homebridge, uh, utilizing their facilities, um, which is amazing an amazing facility, uh, very zen like running some pilot programs. Anything you want to shed light on around those partnerships and those pilot programs? Yes. So in partnership with Kenny Jackson, um, Father um, um Tomb Academy and Light and Light program, we mm -hmm. have um we are working with adult probation where we are doing an interactive journaling um pilot program with that population. And that has been so far successful as well, where we actually carve out areas of the individuals that's on probation and focus on um, improving that area of the individual's life through interactive journaling, allowing them to express themselves in writing and actually share it amongst a group of individuals um, that they could um, relate to. And that has been a really, uh, really good program because uh, adult probation finds it to be um, where their individuals are actually going through the probation without any uh, rearrest going through the program um, with an accountability to one another and, and, and choosing to um, stay on the right path. We've offered them um, phone services. We've offered them um, stipends and bus tokens so that they can travel. Um, we've um, worked really closely with probation and we're hoping to continue that, that relationship with probation. Right now we're just running a male group and the next um, endeavor is gonna be a female group as well. Oh, wow. That sounds amazing. Looking forward to hearing more about that um, when that comes along. We'd love to have you back. Um, 
do you mind discussing some of your successes with some of this programming, working with moms and their children or working with dads and their children? I know uh, there's an upcoming Bridgeport Reentry Award or Bridgeport 2024 Reentry Awards, and I believe um, that some of the folks that you may have been working with um, have been nominated in some categories. So I'm interested to hear about that and some of the successes that you've seen with this intense kind of partnership with the city through the Mayor's Initiative for Rancher Affairs and then the other partners in the community, how coalescing around some of these families have, you know, really elevated them to a level where they're seeing success and not being hampered by obstacles of their records. Right. So I um, personally nominated one mom that took full advantage of our program. Um, she herself um, is second chance and she did um, receive her pardon just recently, which helped, which, which is going to be very helpful to her as far as taking care of her family in a single parent home because dad of the children, he, he is incarcerated as well. And she has been a single, a single mom um, for quite some time now since dad has been away and having that record and not being able to take on certain jobs that was, um, with, again, that was gainful, did um, pose um, somewhat of an obstacle in her life. So now that she has her pardon, we're going to see her through to make sure that she can actually um, be employed and be able to take care of her family. And not only her did we work with, we worked with her daughter, who was also incarcerated and um, recently returned home. And we sent her through the STRIVE program and she graduated through STRIVE and she is now employed. Um, while she was away, we worked with her son, who's only four years old, but we did send him to summer camp and we did send him to after school program because dad um, is the, the dad of the son is also incarcerated. Um, and yeah, and so and so we have, again, worked with the entire family and then we have her daughter who, who struggles between going to visit dad um, in federal prison and, you know, mom not being able to do much for the family because she is a single parent. We did take her on in our mentoring program. And since then, um, she hasn't been suspended from school as much as she used to um, be before because she was just so socially, emotionally um, disturbed that she would constantly be suspended and not be able to interact well with her peers and with teachers. So she's now, um, she's she's a part of our mentoring program right now. And she received an award um, because she just really had a huge turnaround since she's been working with Community Life Solutions and been a part of our mentoring program with the Bridgeport Family First, who supports community life. So, um, you know, that's one of our success stories. Like we have seen the entire family through this process in order to you know, make sure that we could um, lighten some of the load that happens within a family of um, several incarcerated um, family members. It's amazing. Uh, I mean, just the scope of that. One of the, I know one of the reasons um, Mayor Ganim had put in the initiative in place was around that fact that if you have, unfortunately, one family member that's incarcerated, let alone two, the likelihood of the children um, getting into that pipeline of incarceration is really, really exacerbated. And I think these programs that are being done either directly or indirectly, um, as I talked about earlier on before you came on, um, are very helpful in, 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 in multiple cities and municipalities. So I want to say thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you with your partners. I know you guys are out there. And I don't have you for a very long time because you're on your way to another program that okay. um, is working with individuals and trying to inspire and help individuals. You know, um, we're not talking about giving handouts to people, we're giving hand ups and letting people, you know, take advantage of the resources yeah. that are available. So, um, right. And so right now we so so um so right now we are going um I'm on my way out like Earl said because we we are launching a tutor program for our our, our kids in a in the Bridgeport Board of Ed um school system because we believe that if we can get the kids back on track educationally and academically we would see more kids in the classroom less um and and to reduce the absenteeism um rates reduce the suspension rates and 
you know, going to the school with other ideas, like the, the youth entrepreneur program that we plan to take a look at launching soon. Um, what is that? What is the youth entrepreneur program is a program that we would like to introduce um, to the kids where they could see themselves as business owners in the future. And, and we're going to start in middle schools, right? Where we can see themselves as owning, you know, owning um, corporate organizations and owning businesses and not, you know, being so locked into the idea of having to go to a four-year college or having to graduate master's or, or cum laude and things like that just to be successful in, in life. Because we, with this opportunity, we believe that we could have more individuals that will not choose a life of crime, but will choose a life of themselves and focus on themselves and taking care of their families in any way possible as business owners or as the president. We don't know, but we want to offer that opportunity to these individuals um, at a young age. And we're starting with middle school with this program. So you're talking about teaching these kids about leaving a legacy and generational wealth and yes. literacy. Yes, and financial literacy. We also do a financial literacy program at the Board of Ed every couple of um, every couple of schools. I think we did it last year. We did it in three different schools where we did a finance a youth financial literacy where we had that group of kids create um, their own programs and create their own businesses, and they did an excellent job. And when after that, we went into the schools and we um, went into their classrooms with gifts and we called them up in front of the classrooms and congratulated them on their on their projects. And these are the kids that sat in the back of the classroom and, you know, was constantly known as the troublemaking kids. But these kids were very, um, very crafty and they created and they came up with some really great, great um, ideas. And we just wanted to um, congratulate them by coming into schools and doing that. So that's another program that we really want to um, pay a whole lot of attention to. And that's making those kids um, see that they have more to life than what they see as um, than what they've seen so far. Yeah, that sounds brilliant. Looking forward to uh, working with you on implementing some of those programs um, in yes. the distant future. Um, so, so what's going on with you uh, then, uh, Ms. McFarlane? I know you had this work that you're doing that's constant, nonstop. We all know there's there's more than enough work to go around and, and not enough people to handle it all. How are you handling this work and um, how, how have you been rewarded? I have been rewarded um, by seeing and building relationships um, with other individuals in the communities and other organizations and just learning about all of the hidden jewels that the city of Bridgeport have. And so many people do so many great things here that, um, that, 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 that has been the rewarding part of this job and being able to see the needs of the community and being able to collaborate with people like you, Earl, and people like CRI and, um, and Kenny Jackson and Tony Nelson with Fathers in Education, the Board of Ed, um, you know, with, with Dr. Morgan and um, with Dr. Selena Morgan, she's been very, very um, supportive when it comes to working with the Board of Ed. And I think that's the most rewarding part, part for me so far is being able to see where we can make a huge change and a huge difference here in the city of Bridgeport. Okay. And and correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm putting you on the spotlight. You did receive an award a few months ago for the great service that you've been providing. You want to talk a little bit about that and how you even incorporated yes. the work that you were doing in receiving your award? You incorporated some of the work that you do with some of the families? Yes, I did. Um, so <clears throat> I am a Rotarian. I'm here in the city of Bridgeport, and I am the youth chair um, on the board for the youth program here, where we do some work with Central High School, and we do some work with uh, and um, one of the Rotary Clubs out of Norwalk they recognized me for all of the work that I've um, that I do here in the city of Bridgeport and pretty much you know some of the things that I introduced here and they decided that they wanted to give me the advocate of the award the advocate of the year award because they just didn't understand how um, doing so much work is possible and I really appreciate appreciated that 
And when that happened, I brought along some of my, my parents and my children and I recognized them because if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be who I am today and doing the work that I'm doing today. Wow, that's amazing. So a couple of questions then. If, if funding wasn't an issue, which we all know is always an issue because there's you know only so much of a pie that we can all get a piece of, what would be something that you would like to see transpire with the work that you're doing or something that you would, something that you want to do that you haven't been able to do thus far? Um, that's a tough one. I think that I would love to see, I would love to have a space where we could actually bring, um, different programs to one space in one location and have a community of staff that could actually work with, um, with the different programs, but provide a service, um, to the children and the families within that space. So I'm looking to, you know, identify a building or a space that we could actually be in one area and um and, and work together in one space. I think that's the way I want to put it so far. Like a so like a one-stop shop for families that yes. are impacted by the justice system. Yes, a one-stop shop. Absolutely. That's that's it. And I think that and I think we're doing that now, but we're doing a community base, mm-hmm. right? Where we do home visits, you know, um, I have them come to my office. I have them come to your office. We meet in the libraries, um, you know, so we're all over the community. And I think the community work is excellent, but it's also great if we can just have a one-stop shop where everyone could just come into one area and, and do different things. Okay. And so when you're saying the one-stop shop and to do different things in one area, so community events there, having also different resources and, and um, services that families that have been impacted by the justice system might need something like that. Yes, different groups, um, pantry, um, you know, being able to um, um, offer housing services, if we could um, get our hands on that type of services. Obviously working with the kids and, and, and having a recreational space that they can come in um, into, and, um, and again, being able to run those therapeutic groups ongoing in one space where everyone could feel comfortable with just coming in and, and, you know, saying, Hey, this is what I'm going through. How can you help me? And I think the mayor's, the mayor's initiative have been doing an excellent job with that thus far. Well, thank you. We have a lot of great partners like yourself, like Career Resources, Rob Ebert and, uh, Scott Wilderman and their team, the workplace. So yeah, there's a, you know, the University of Bridgeport, Housatonic Community College, all of these different organizations and agencies and entities have been very instrumental in trying to provide a support system and structure for um, the population that we're working with. And uh, and I think one of the the things that, you know, that is so key and, and so phenomenal about you and what you represent and the work that you do is that you recognize that, yes, we have an individual that's locked up and incarcerated, but along with that or attached to that is a community and a family as well. And we need to be treating and looking at the whole unit, the community, the family that's on the outside, whether it be a mom, dad, or a different relative caretaker, the kid themselves or kids themselves and the individual that's incarcerated and, and making that transition so when they come out, you know, as healthy as possible in that uh, yes. reunification and connectivity back into the community, yes. back to their family. Yes, yes. And definitely, you know, taking a look at family therapy and, you know, and um, and understanding that sometimes when a parent comes home and the child is is here, that maybe, you know, a, a few family therapy sessions, you know, don't be afraid of having family family sessions where we could sit together with another individual and kind of like hash things out and, and discuss feelings. And, you know, how does the child, how did the child feel, you know, um, not having you around for so long, be, be ready to hear those things and, um, and kind of like put things on the table. And I think I've been successful with that. Um, just recently I had a, a, a reunification visit with a mom, um, from the Lucy Bainey house and 
you know, I just watched the session at first for a long time. And then I noticed they just had no words for each other when they first saw each other. So I just kind of, you know, initiated some conversation between them and just, you know, started to talk about some things. And then they began to open up with one another after, you know, the initiation of the conversation. But I think that's what happens if you don't have that that proper reunification process take place. Yeah, which requires some type of skill person such as yourself to be an intermediary and mediator of that conversation because while they might want to um that fear and that trauma um those unspoken words can be very hard at times yes yes all that yes and believe me the mom that i did this visit with last week she actually only has about maybe five more months to go but this is the perfect time, you know, this is the perfect time to start this conversation now and to have this happen now so that when mom gets home, you know, she kind of went through that already. She's kind of like at the point of let's get back to parenting versus let me figure out how to parent again. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. That's that's some, some amazing work. Um, and as they say, we are stronger together um, with families and with community. Uh, many things have changed throughout the many decades that I've lived, and I think I'm still pretty young, but you know, one thing that remains the same is that having a strong community and a strong, supportive, connected community helps a lot. Yes, and being creative. I mean, yesterday I just took one of the ladies from Houston, from from Lucy Bainey to um, LA Fitness to the gym, just so she can just go and like do you know punch the punching bag and let's talk about what's what frustrates you and what's what's happening you know so you know just being creative i think the whole creativity of what happens here in the city of bridgeport is what's going to make us a successful um community and reunify and reunification um work okay so you know we talked a little bit ago about you know if money wasn't necessarily a problem, you know, one of the things you would do when you talk about the one-stop shop in the community space. Um, you have listeners out there and you also have influential people, people with money or people who have access to money or know people. What would you say to these folks are the most important things that are happening um, based on the work that you're doing and because of the work that you're doing? Um, I think... Right, right. I think if we have any funders out there that's looking forward to um, being a part of this movement is once the idea comes about, maximize on the idea because it comes about daily. Like, you know, I might be saying something now and then tomorrow we go, oh, wait a minute, this this right here will be great. Right. And then we just kind of let the idea go because we're like, where are we going to get the money to pay for something like that? So once the idea comes about, um, being available, being open to meeting, being um, um, a part of the process is what I would is what I would say, right? Because right now I think Lucy Bainey House would do great if they had a nice workout center in the house, or you know, gym equipment, or you know, ways to 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 give those ladies an opportunity to like go into an area of the facility where they can just like um, exert some anger and exert some frustration. Um, but we don't have the, we, we haven't taken a look at the funding to do something like that. So those ideas come about as we, as you know, day to day things come up and we go, okay, that'll be a great opportunity. But of course, funding does play a role in whether or not we could move forward on certain, um, ideas or not. Indeed. Funding is definitely an issue always. Um, just like, you know, you talked about things that are needed in the house, um, like for instance, like Lucy Bainey and there are several other halfway houses that are in, located in the city of Bridgeport. Um, when these individuals are being released, you know, we need to also make sure with the work that's been being put in that these individuals, you know, have a place to go. So housing is always a concern, making sure that people have housing or at the Lucy Bainey house, um, as you stated and I stated, you know, it's, it's a unique, configuration where you have some moms with their children with them, you know, do we have enough diapers for these families, um, yes. units that are there. Um, so there, there are a lot of things that go into, uh, that work, um, working with the children of, of these folks or working with other children that, uh, maybe 
are on the defense about getting into, unfortunately, the school to prison pipeline, um, working with Saturday academies and tutorial programs. Uh, I know um, you, myself, and Mr. Tony Nelson worked on a program this past Saturday at the Bridgeport uh, Library on Broad Street, looking to connect parents and assess parents and their children to find out exactly what their needs are academically so we can try to help them fill some of those gaps. So that those are amazing opportunities that we really need to, like you said, maximize and let people know about and um, leverage. Right. And one of the things in the future we would love to see is a transitional house, because a lot of the times the individuals leave the halfway houses homeless. A lot of the times they don't have anywhere to go when they leave um, the house. So they have to, you know, call 211 and, um, and, and try to get on the, um, the shelter list so that they can kind of go through the shelter system in order to get housing. So we had the opportunity to have a transitional house here in the city of Bridgeport where maybe they'll be released from the houses and they'll have like a three to five month stay. And in that time period, we could work on housing opportunities and we could work on more for them because once they're um they're discharged from the homes, like that's it. Like we we can't do anything else for them, right? So if we okay. had that that transitional housing um program here in the city of Bridgeport, I think that would be a great project um for us because we're already there, right? We just need to have the opportunity and the funding in order to create something like that. And I think that's 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 another great opportunity for any funders out there. I I totally agree. I totally agree. And um like a Bridgeport is a unique city because not not every city even has a halfway house for women to begin with. A lot right. of municipalities are sending their or, or the women that are getting released from um, the facility, the York facility, uh, Department of Corrections, are going to like Hartford or coming to Bridgeport because there are not a lot of facilities out there for women. Um, and along with the men, as you just said, there's not a, not a lot of transitional housing out there to provide that soft landing to transition into something stable and safe um, for these individuals as they collect themselves and get themselves to together to reintegrate back into the community. Right. And not to mention, Ms. Kim Harris is doing an amazing job with the Lucy Bainey house. She makes it very welcoming, very homely. Um, you know, and like you mentioned, Earl, um, there's a daycare center attached to the house. So if a lady comes, if a woman comes in and she has her baby, she's able to actually put her baby in childcare within five weeks of deliver of being in the Lucy Bainey house so that mom could get out there and um, back into the workforce and back out there into the community immediately. Um, we also put some other other things in place with that. We have a midwife that comes in. We have um, a lot of supports that come into the facility to help mom through her um, through her um, her, her, her pre what do you call prenatal that? Prenatal yeah. and postnatal. Prenatal and postnatal work. Um, so we have a lot of things happening that's amazing here for the ladies and um, at the Lucy Bainey house. And, um, and and again, the men's house, they, you know, they're always out in the community. They're very interactive. We had a lot of them that came out to the event last Saturday because they want to be great dads. They want to they want to work on rebuilding their families again. And I think, um, you know, the staff plays a huge role in that in that um, in that process. Definitely, definitely. We had coach out there um, transporting them yep. in making sure that they yep. got to the program so they were getting connected to the resources they need. You mentioned the daycare part at the Lucy Bano. That That's a partnership through Alliance for Community Empowerment. Alliance, um, yeah. Uh, with Dr. Ferguson. Uh, that's awesome yes. as well. Yes, amazing right. work, amazing work. Well, I, I thank you for your time. I know you have another program uh, to get to. Yes. You're running from that place and all over. Uh, you know, the city of Bridgeport trying to help folks. So thank you again for your time and look forward to having you back to talk about some of these other future programs. Thank you so much for having me. And if you want to reach out to me, please have Earl give you my information and we could um, and we could meet again. Awesome. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. So folks, that was... Um, some of the work that's going on in the community um, in the state of reentry, understanding the importance of reconnectivity with families. Um, there are tons of things going, 
tons of things going on uh, in the city of Bridgeport and throughout the state. Um, and with that being the case, um, I wanted to mention um, there's a program currently ongoing, TCM Paths, and they're looking for recently incarcerated um, participants for a national study on transitioning from jail to the community. Um, participants will receive a referral for primary health care and up to $375 for complete in six surveys. Um, eligibility and as to who can join, you need to be 18 plus years or 18 plus years old, released in the past 30 days from a Connecticut facility, served two years or less, currently living in Bridgeport, history of opioid use or disorder. The contact information or call information is call uh, 475-306-1023 or you can email T-C-N-P-A-T-H-S at yale.edu for more info. And we'll make sure to get this up on some websites and Facebook pages as well. Um, one of the other things I, I briefly want to talk about um, as the state's legislative session has begun. It is a short session, so all the bills that are going to be reviewed by our legislatures are going to be coming out of committees. Um, the ACLU of Connecticut is really focused on an act concerning collateral consequences of criminal records on housing. Um, you may ask, what is this bill? This bill protects people from discrimination because of their criminal history by requiring public and private housing authorities to engage in an individualized assessment of people who are living with a criminal record when they apply to housing. It establishes the look back period for individualized assessments three years for felonies from date of conviction. Landlords would not be permitted to consider criminal histories outside of the look back periods. Bans discriminatory practices like asking about a person's criminal history on initial housing applications, similar to the ban the box for employment, unless required by federal law. Advertising rentals with limitations based on criminal history or lying about the availability of a rental because of a person's criminal history. It allows housing applicants to seek relief from the Connecticut Commission on Human Rights and Opportunities if they are discriminated discriminated against by landlords. Why do we need to support this bill? Connecticut residents with a criminal record face over 550 legal barriers to meeting their basic needs, making it difficult to reintegrate into society and to support themselves and their families. So this impacts housing as well as employment. People of color are disproportionately incarcerated. They are similarly disproportionately facing barriers ranging from background checks as part of rental and public housing applications, exclusions from fair housing law protections, eviction and housing forfeiture, and denial of rental or sale. 79% of formerly incarcerated people have been denied housing due to a criminal conviction, and they are 10 to 13 times more likely to experience homelessness than people who have not been incarcerated. At the same time, policies that criminalize homelessness, like laws against loitering or panhandling, increase the likelihood that people with a criminal record will come into contact with the system yet again. Additionally, why do we need to support this bill? Black women experience the highest rate of sheltered homelessness, almost four times more than white men and two times more than black men. Stable housing is the base of ensuring successful reentry. Yet our state makes it very difficult for people to actually obtain housing by constructing numerous collateral consequences related to housing. So I'm definitely looking to dig into more of this. Um, and hopefully we can have some folks from the housing authorities. I know that um, Secretary Fudge, Secretary of Housing uh, Fudge has directed a lot of the um, local housing authorities throughout the country, let alone the state, into looking more into this and eliminating barriers to housing for individuals who may not have a criminal record. And I know that the uh, local housing authority here in Bridgeport and, and other municipalities um, are doing some 
amazing work in uh, trying to eliminate these barriers in house folks. So um, additionally, what would we like from this bill to end blanket bans on housing for people living with a criminal record and instead require housing providers to use a holistic individualized assessment of rental applicants to reduce gender and racial disparities and rates of homelessness when to folks living with a record. By people with access to housing so they can grow and thrive within their communities. When people who are living with a record are given a fair chance to find housing, earn a job, get insurance, and reintegrate into society, we all succeed. What you can do to support this bill, write or call your representative and tell them that you support this bill. Find your legislatures at https backslash or double backslash excuse me, colon double backslash www.cga.ct.gov slash ASP slash menu slash CGA find leg dot ASP. Submit testimony to the Judiciary Committee in support of the bill during its public hearing in late February to early March. You can find all of this information and more, including Model testimony and a summary of the bill on our website, the ACLU website at https colon forward slash forward slash www.aclucc.org. Take action. I want to thank my guest today. I want to thank Tom Ficklin for allowing the opportunity of this platform to be used to discuss issues impacting um, our brethren and sisters who are impacted by the justice system and the reentry population. And thank you all for listening. If you have questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, you can reach out to myself at myra.service at bridgeportct.gov. And also the um, different reentry roundtables throughout the state of Connecticut at ctreentry.org list the names of all the individuals that are chairing those reentry roundtables throughout the state as well as when those uh, individuals meet for their monthly meeting i hope you know that you guys have found this information useful and my voice very pleasurable so with that being said you know you could have been anywhere else in the world with your time you utilize it to get some information and hopefully some enjoyment have a wonderful and blessed day Thank you very much. As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'ma roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions. Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment, you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working, open curtains. Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version. I'm never gon' give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up.